So tonight we're not even going to be in the book of Philippians. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts because we're going to read about the story of how the, uh, the church at Philippi started. And so we'll have that as a background. Paul was a missionary. Once he became a believer, he started traveling. And he made uh, three missionary journeys. And uh, the church at Philippi was started on his second. And so we'll read about that. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 9. It says, A vision, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul has a dream, and it's vivid to the point where it was called a vision, and there was a guy standing, and he appeared to be in the land of Macedonia, and he was saying to Paul, come on, come over here and help us. And so when he had seen the vision, immediately we, I'm going to ask questions I don't expect you to answer me. What I expect you to do is to answer it in your head. And so then I'll give you the answer once I ask it, and it's just a way of me kind of uh, helping reinforce information. If I ask the question, then you try to find it, and then, uh, then I give you the answer. It sticks a little bit better. There's always somebody that will shout out the answer to me. You can do that if you like, but that's not what I'm expecting. So here's the question. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the book of Gospel of Luke. So when you read through the book of Acts, you will see some pronouns, and sometimes you will see third person, sometimes you will see the word us, we. Whenever you see that, as you read through the book of Acts, that's because Luke is on this particular journey. He wasn't with Paul all the time in the book of Acts. Sometimes he just heard about it and wrote about it. Other times he was on the trip. So on this particular section, you'll see we, us regularly, and other places you won't see we, us. And so when you see the we, us, that means Luke writing it is right there in person. So he says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, God has a will and a plan for you in the area of witnessing so if you think about you, your life, your job, your neighborhood, your family, and ask yourself the question, when have I done much of that? And sometimes when I talk to people, I say, well, I witness by uh, just being a nice person. That's cool. Uh, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, nice people who don't have much of, much of a message in regards to the gospel. So a witness always has words to go along with the way they live, and we tend to be intimidated by that, but it's not difficult if you constantly think about it, constantly pray about it, ask God for opportunity, open doors. He will guide you when you want to be a witness for him. So we can say Paul was guided. I mean, that was about as clear guiding as you can get. Why? Well, because he wanted to plant churches. And when you want to be used, when you want to make a difference, when you want to communicate, when you get up in the morning and say, today, Lord, I would like to be your witness, then God will guide you, open up doors, open your eyes up, give you boldness, give you words. But if it's something that's sort of passive, uh, you don't really think about it, there's not much of a want to, then you're not going to see very many opportunities. So God called them to preach the gospel. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course 
to Samothrace and on the way and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia a Roman colony so Philippi was started by a king named what was the king's name who started the town of Philippi Philip yeah seems reasonable doesn't it King Philip about 350 years before Christ, King Philip happened to be the father of Alexander the Great. Most of you who went to school remember Alexander the Great. He was the one basically that started the, the, uh, the Greek Empire. Empires, the first great worldwide empire, just for fun. What was it? Assyria, the Assyrian Empire. And then after the Assyrian Empire, Book of Daniel, if you read the Book of Daniel, was the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar was the one that conquered the Assyrians, conquered the whole known world and established his empire. Then after him was the Median Persian Empire. And then Alexander the Great came along and established the Greek Empire. And the Greek culture spread all over the known world. And then after the Greek Empire, you all know this if you saw any movies about the time of Jesus. The Roman Empire. Yeah, good work. The Roman Empire. So, Philip was the father of Alexander the Great. He started, he opened, he began the city of Philippi, and the reason was because there was a lot of gold there, and he was a king, needed gold, so he started the city. And you remember the story about uh, Julius Caesar, Roman leader, and he was stabbed by, if you read Shakespeare, Brutus, killed by Brutus. And Brutus ran away with a bunch of, sh- a bunch of sh- soldiers, Roman soldiers. Where did he go? To Philippi. And Octavius went after him, and they had a big battle in Philippi called the Battle of Philippi. And that was kind of where the emperors began because up until then they were an elected president as it were. Octavius became uh, an emperor for life on the basis of that battle and the Roman Empire as we know it in most movies where there was an emperor who was considered himself God began with that. And so he at that point when he conquered uh, Brutus and the soldiers and killed them all he declared Philippi to be a little Rome. And so when you retired as a general or a high-ranking soldier from the Roman army, you got to go to Philippi. And they would give you property and give you real estate. Now, the cool thing about living in Philippi, there were no taxes there. It was called a free city. No taxes. And also, Philippi got to make its own law. And so it was a Roman colony. It was a little Rome. Everything they did in Philippi, they would imitate what they did in Rome. And most of the citizens were Roman citizens. Most of the citizens were retired generals. And so it was a very, very rich, well-known city. And the Romans, you heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Well, Rome began to build a lot of roads. Their roads were different than most. They were made out of rocks that were flat on one side. And they would, and if you got conquered by the Romans and made a slave, one of the things you got to do was build roads. And so you went and got rock, and you, 
You carved out a little spot, put the rock down, put a little sand in, put another rock in, put a little sand in. And if you look at pictures of Roman roads, they were flat cobblestone. They were filled with sand. They were 15 feet wide, and uh, several of them were over 500 miles long. And so they had us like a bicycle spokes going out from Rome, roads going in all directions, and it was one of their plans to keep control of the, of the conquered countries was to be able to get to them quickly on these roads that their uh, chariots could travel on uh, rapidly. Well, one of the main roads that left uh, Rome uh, went across the sea and right to Philippi and past Philippi, and it was probably the most popular of all the roads. It was the Ignatian Way, and it was crowded with travelers, it was crowded with uh, traders, it was crowded with businessmen, it was crowded with people who had goods to sell, and so Philippi was right in the middle of that road, and so they received all these people going by, and it became a very well-to-do, wealthy city. And so you think about the location of it and the people that were in it and say, I wonder if God planned to plant a church there if he knew that there would be so many people there in that town that would come and go, come and go, come and go, if there was a really good church, many people would hear the gospel and it would spread out all over the country from that one city. Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We were staying in this city uh, for some time. Actually, they stayed there for almost two years. And on the Sabbath day, we, so why is that we? Because Luke wrote it, yeah. Luke wrote it, went outside to the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, in order, uh, according to Jewish law, in order to have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 men in the city. There was no synagogue in Philippi. And so there weren't 10 Jewish men. There were hardly any Jews in Philippi. But if there were, they would meet at a riverside. That was kind of their tradition. So Paul goes to the riverside. There would be a place of prayer. And uh, we sat down and began speaking to the women. Did you know that if you go to most churches to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and if there's 20 people that show up, 18 of them will be ladies, two of them will be guys? That's been like that ever since the Roman Empire probably before. So there were some ladies that showed up at the prayer meeting. Uh, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Now, she wasn't uh, originally from Philippi. She had come there because she was a seller of purple. That was a very, very expensive, and it was a biz lucrative business that she had. Um, it says that she was a worshiper of God. Now, what that means is she was a Gentile who had began to worship the Jewish God, um, the one true God. She was a believer in, um, in Judaism. She wasn't a Jew, but she was a believer and followed uh, the Old Testament. She was a worshiper of God, and she was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Why? Here's a couple of questions. What happens if God hadn't opened her heart? Would she have understood what Paul said? No, she wouldn't have. Uh, if the Bible says that 
2 Corinthians 4, that the devil has blinded the minds of every unbeliever so they can't understand the truth of the gospel. He has blinded their minds so they cannot understand the truth of the gospel. No one can unless God supernaturally works and opens their heart like he did with Lydia. That has to happen. So, here's a bunch of people at the riverside, and Paul's there teaching and speaking, and Lydia's the one that God touches and opens her heart. So what did God do? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Some wheel and let's see whose name shows up. Why Lydia? Well, she was a worshiper of God. She was a Gentile. And uh, there's any number of reasons, but probably someone was praying for her. And I think about it today in the sense of if I talk to people and God works in someone's heart, opens their heart, why would he do that? And so I believe that one of the things that I can do when I pray for people that don't know Jesus, I can pray that God would open their heart. I pray this way. I say, Lord Jesus, when you were walking around on the planet Earth, you gave sight to the blind and you gave hearing to the dumb. And one of the declarations about you from Isaiah is that you came to give sight to the blind, set the captives free. And so I'd pray that you would do that for this person. I would pray for them by name. Would you give them eyes to see their hearts so they can understand the gospel? It makes sense when they hear it. Would you draw them to yourself? Would you convict them of sin? Would you just make them hungry so that they want to know you personally? Uh, In years past, we've talked about and used the term uh, seven for heaven, And there's a few of you that still have that seven for heaven. Many of you don't. That's simply a list of names of people that you live next door to, that you work with, that you're related to, that don't know Jesus, and you pray for them. And uh, if you had seven and prayed for them and asked the question, how long would it take to pray for seven people? The prayer that I just prayed. I'd guess five minutes would be uh, probably sufficient if you could do it. And would it be hard to pray for them every day? The only thing that would make it, be, make it hard would be our lack of care, concern, interest, our own forgetfulness. So I understand that. So I've got a little list of things to do every day, and I check it before I go to bed at night. Did I do that? Did I do that? Did I do that? And one of them is to pray for my lost friends, neighbors, relatives, and I do it every single day. I pray for lost people. Now, if you pray for lost people every day, one of the things that you'll do is you'll say, Lord, would you grant me an opportunity to make a difference in their life? You'll be able to see things in their life that you wouldn't see otherwise. You'll be, hear them say things that you wouldn't hear otherwise. Uh, needs, problems, issues, openings, you'll hear those where otherwise they'd, you'd miss them. Uh, They might walk by you at work, and if you don't pray for them, you wouldn't even notice. But if you pray for them every day, you'd notice, and you'd kind of intersect their path to see if you could just say a word of chat uh, or communication. If they said something about what was going on in their life, you might then be quick to ask to pray for them or to meet a need that's in their life. It's amazing the difference it makes when you pray for someone every day, how you notice them. And so Lydia's heart was opened by God. And when she and her household, household, the Greek word for household is ikos, and it doesn't mean brothers and sisters and children and parents. What it means is 
people that you're close with. So this household could be her children, or it could be friends, neighbors, any number of people. But it says, and when she and her household had been baptized, well, her heart got open. Why is her household getting baptized? Well, because she talked to them, and she told them what had happened to her. When Paul talked and she trusted the Lord as her Savior, first thing she did is she goes to her neighbors, her friends, her children, anybody that she knows well, and she shares what happened to her, and they became believers. The gospel travels over webs of relationship best. And so when you identify your seven for heaven, one of the things that you are going to do is look for your icos, that is those people that in, are in your life, that you have a relationship established with already. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful, come into my house. So where did the church start? Lydia's house. Uh, so now if you take a Bible trivia question, a, a quiz test, and one of the questions is, where did the church at Philippi start? You'll know the answer, Lydia's house. And she prevailed upon us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, now notice uh, they go to the house and then they're going to the place of prayer again. It could be a week later, a month later, six months later. We we don't know. There's just a break right there. But the fact is they were there for almost two years. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, same place, a slave girl having a spirit of divination. That's a demon. Uh, This uh, girl was demon-possessed. And she comes along, and she was bringing her masters much profit because, because of this demon she was telling people's fortunes so they would charge money for that. And she was following after Paul and us, and she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now you'd think that that would be welcomed. Oh, yes, she's helping us out. Now, I don't know what it was. A demon is in her, and that wasn't the goal of a demon to help Paul out, but it started irritating Paul. Isn't it nice? The Apostle Paul is like uh, the greatest man in the Bible and the New Testament, short of Jesus started dozens of churches, wrote the bulk of the New Testament, uh, got to go to heaven and come back again. I mean, this was one powerful man. I kind of like it when these guys that are really up there sin. I mean, it's not what you call a big, but he's greatly annoyed. Uh, I get annoyed and He turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. So who normally went with Paul on his missionary journey? Question. Barnabas. The first missionary journey, Barnabas went, and also John, Mark, went. Halfway through the journey, John, Mark, bailed on them, got wimpy, cold feet, couldn't handle it. And so they get ready to go again, and Barnabas is going to go with Paul, and he wants to bring John again. Paul said, no way. He bailed on us the first time. We're not taking him. So it says they got in a big fight. I just love it when Paul sins. They got in a big fight, and then they decided to split up. Uh, Barnabas went one way, and Paul went the other, and so he takes Silas. And so Paul and Silas got... They dragged him into the marketplace before the authorities. 
And when they uh, had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Now, there were hardly any Jews in Philippi, as I mentioned. And so they were Romans. They had Roman practices, Roman culture. They were surrounded by Greek culture. They're proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being us being Romans. So here's a little bit of information about Paul and the book of Acts. When the book of Acts begins, if you read Acts, only people that are preached at and to are Jews. The church began in Jerusalem with 3,000 Jews being converted to Jesus as their Messiah. But the Jews begin to persecute the church, resist the church. The apostle Paul initially goes to Jews, and then he starts going to Gentiles more and more and more. And so at the beginning of the book of Acts is 100% Jewish audience. At the end of the book of Acts is 100% Gentile audience. And you have these two wedges one getting smaller, one getting bigger. So the most misinterpreted book in the Bible is the book of Acts. The reason is because people don't often ask the question, who's the audience? That makes a huge difference when you read about what's said. You have to ask the question, who's it being said to? And so if you don't understand the difference between Jews being the audience and Gentiles being the audience, you come up with some really faulty conclusions, uh, conclusions that I often call stew, because it's all mixed up with information that's old covenant, information that's new covenant. You don't mix the old and new covenant. The book of Acts has information in both, because the Jews are the audience at the beginning, the Gentiles at the end. Philippi is a Gentile city. Paul tended to go to Jewish cities, but God directed him to a city that's almost all Gentiles. He became and gave himself the title, I am the apostle to the Gentiles, specifically sent by God uh, to those who are not Jewish um, and of the church. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Now, if you saw the... Uh, the movie, um, I forgot the title of it, one where Jesus is crucified, The Passion. You, you remember seeing the scene there where he was beaten, and then that was a basic custom. If you want to Google that and see pictures, the goal when they beat them with rods was to get them just up to the point where they died and then stop. Most of the flesh would be gone off of their backs. And so they're beaten with rods, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received a command, threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. Now, this isn't the kind of stocks that you see that they had in the early part of our country in England where they were just there loosely. This was the kind of stocks where they would stretch them out as far as they could stretch them out in every direction. And it was a, it was a severe form of torture along with having been beaten, now they were stretched in every direction in the inner prison where it was dark and cold. Uh, they threw them in the inner prison. They put their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So the book of Philippi 
is called the Book of Joy. The message through the book is joy in spite of circumstances, joy in spite of trials. And so it's great when you see how the church started. This is how it started. Paul's beaten an inch of, of, from death and then put in a uh, torture mechanism. And at midnight, he and Silas are singing hymns. They had them memorized, obviously. I don't think they loaned them a hymn book. And Randy Hacker wasn't there to lead. Uh, but they sang hymns. And it says the prisoners were listening. What do you think the prisoners thought? Those guys are tough dudes. Who would be singing after going through what they went through? We went on a missions trip to uh, Bosnia, which is basically the same area of where Philippi is, and we got arrested by the Serbians and put in jail while we were there. And I got put in a cell with my daughter, Sherry. Sherry was about 12 years old at the time. And... Uh, the captain of the jail, or the ones that arrested us, says, I'm going to leave you in that cell until you rot, you rotten Americans. And so it was a little disconcerting, you know, uh, can leave us in here until we rot. So Sherry got pretty uptight and started getting uh, on the edge of tears. And I said, Sherry, guess what? We are in the same predicament that Paul and Silas were in. Let's do what they did. And so I said, those guys don't know English. We can pray for them and we can sing. And so we did. And pretty soon she was feeling pretty good and wasn't too much longer after that. They turned us out, uh, turned us loose. And that, that had a major impact on her life um, as a 12-year-old getting arrested in Bosnia and then singing and praying for the country and for the people the prisoners were listening. Suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, had they escaped, he would have gotten killed, as it was normal. So he thought he would just save them the time. Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, here's a Roman. I don't know if he had listened to any radio programs of me preaching. <laughs> I don't know if he had a Bible. So why was he so quick? What must I do to be saved? I think it was because he was one of the guys that was listening to Paul and Silas as they sang and as they prayed. And he came to the conclusion, these guys have something. And so when this happened, an obvious miracle, his words out of his mouth were, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, Icos. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house and he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Uh, now, we don't know how that household was in the sense of numbers of people, but we have Lydia and all her household, and now we have the jailer and all his household, and we have some time in between there where there were others that were probably hearing. And so we have the church, probably fair-sized church, 
Uh, Lydia has saved all her household. God opens her heart. They're baptized. The jailer has saved his household. Uh, he sees a miracle, as it were, and he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release these men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans. And so Rome had laws about how to treat Roman citizens. They didn't know that Paul was a Roman citizen. They assumed he was a Jew and have thrown us into prison. Now, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They were afraid because they could get in big trouble uh, for doing what they did, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So Paul leaves, and he leaves with a church planted. Now, as you read the book of Philippi, one of the things, if you ask the question before you read it, most of the letters that Paul writes to the churches, he writes because of a problem that's in the church, and he's addressing that problem. As you read the book of Philippi, four chapters, Philippians, you won't find any reference to any problems, a minor one at the end, but nothing significant. The church of Philippi was a really healthy church. Uh, the church of Philippi was the only church that supported Paul in his missionary journeys. They sent a gift of money uh, to support him on a regular basis. And in fact, the letter of Philippi is written by Paul. He's now in jail again in Rome. And the, the Philippians uh, are quite concerned about him, and so he sends the letter to thank them for the gift that they had recently sent him. He's also uh, sending them a letter to tell them, hey, everything's cool. No problems. Don't worry about me. And in fact, as he writes the letter, you read through it, he's more concerned about them than they are about him. So the church starts basically with Paul and Silas singing hymns in prison after being beaten to an inch of their life, and they sort of plant the seed of what kind of church this would be culturally. As you read the book of Philippians, you'll see the word joy used over 20 times, either joy or rejoice. You've heard the phrase, uh, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice, used twice in the book of Philippians. Uh, it's just a book of joy in spite of circumstances. And so Paul illustrated that very powerfully. It was a growing church. It was a church where lots of people traveled through, and tradition says that many, many other churches started from believers in Philippi. They would go out from Philippi and other churches would be started in that area because of that church and because of that town. <clears throat> so as we go through the book of Philippians, uh, the theme is going to be joy in spite of circumstances, but not just so that we can be joyful. There's a purpose. Joy in spite of circumstances so that we might appear to the world as lights. You remember that in Philippians? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you might 
prove yourself to be above reproach, children of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, among whom you appear as lights in the world, people will be attracted to you because you don't grumble, complain about anything, because you rejoice always in spite of life. That's the theme of the whole book, is be attractive to lost people by the fact that you never grumble. Be attractive to lost people because you're always rejoicing. Be attractive to lost people because you're not a victim of life and circumstances and trials. Be attractive to lost people because if you get beat by rods and thrown in stocks and you're barely alive, you sing and you worship. Now, that's a choice that we make. But those who make that choice will be very effective for God as a witness. But those who do what the world does, and that's grumble and complain and fuss and whine about uh, problems, they become useless. Useless. You know, there's two verses in the New Testament that talk about believers being uh, good for nothing, worthless, useless. And then there's several verses that talk about being useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Ask the question, who is it that's useless, worthless, good for nothing? Those that grumble and complain and fuss and whine. Who is it that's useful? The one that God gives a lot to do, opens up many doors for, who says, yeah, go Macedonia. I have an open door, an opportunity for you. It's those who rejoice always and grumble and complain about nothing. God will use those who are bright lights, and he doesn't use those who aren't. It's as simple as that. And it's a mindset. Grumble about nothing, rejoice about everything. Grumble about nothing, rejoice about everything. That's the motto of this book. Grumble about nothing, rejoice about everything. And if we do that, we will be a bright light, we will be useful to the master, and the world will look at us as if we are perfect and they will want what we have. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray as we go through the book of Philippians that we will recognize that this church was started by Paul and the first two main members of the church, the jailer and Lydia, and especially the jailer and his household came to you uh, they came, Lord, not knowing you, came believing all the Roman pagan gods. They became believers because the Apostle Paul and Silas sang hymns, being in great pain after being beaten uh, to near death, being tortured. I pray that we would be the kind of people that rejoice always and grumble about nothing. And as we do that, we will appear as lights in the midst of a dark black world and people will be attracted to us and they will listen to what we say to them and I pray that we would want more than anything else to be a witness want more than anything else to influence people and we would look for we would have names of people that we're praying for and Lord we would be uh, your tools your instruments of righteousness your ambassadors your witnesses your spirit would work in us powerfully we love you in Jesus name we pray amen